Well, God bless you all. Good to see you here this morning in the house of the Lord. And uh, I want to get to God's word now. And we've been in our journey through John, the gospel of John. And uh, the word that God has put in my heart for us today is uh, what I would classify as a very practical word in that uh, it's going to help us in a very important area of life that we all participate in regularly. So let's look to God's word now, and uh, I'm going to John chapter 7. Pastor Tom, if you can lower me just a touch, I don't know if I'm in a monitor or something. I'm sorry? Ah, thank you. Don't yell at me. These guys. You got to pray for these guys. They did. They... All right. Okay, is that better? All right. John chapter 7. Let's look at uh, beginning in verse, oh, where am I? 16. John seven sixteen. Jesus answered, my teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Whoever speaks on their own does so to gain personal glory. But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There is nothing false about him. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet not one of you keeps the law. Why are you trying to kill me? You are demon-possessed, the crowd answered. Who is trying to kill you? Jesus said, I did one miracle and you're all amazed. Yet, because Moses gave you circumcision, though actually it did not come from Moses, but from the patriarchs, you circumcise a boy on the Sabbath. Now, if a boy can be circumcised on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses may not be broken, why are you angry with me? for healing a man's whole body on the Sabbath. Stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. Stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. All right, so as we've just read, now to help us understand why this conversation is going on. Previously, Jesus had healed a man on the Sabbath, and one of the things he had told him was to take up his mat and walk. Uh, And because he healed on the Sabbath, uh, the the Jewish uh, people uh, were angry with him. Uh, They accused him of violating the law because according to the law, no one was to do any work on the Sabbath, and they considered healing a, a, a man on the Sabbath as breaking the law. And so they began to have this conversation with the Lord and accusing him. Uh, they judged him as working, violating the law. But Jesus now exhorted them to stop judging by mere appearances but to judge correctly. And he said, he gave them the, an example, he said, look, on the Sabbath, you work. On the Sabbath, there's a, uh, if a boy is on the eighth day, he's to be circumcised. If the eighth day falls on the Sabbath, 
you go ahead and circumcise them so that the law will be fulfilled. So you heal on the Sabbath. And if you heal partially, why cannot I heal wholly on the Sabbath? And so, in other words, he was essentially saying, you can, you can heal on the Sabbath. And then I, and, and he ended up by t- telling them, you have to stop judging by mere appearances, but you got to judge correctly. So we're going to focus this morning on judging correctly. Because everybody makes judgments. We make judgments in relationships. We make judgments about circumstances. Uh, You can't live life without making judgments. In other words, decisions that you you come to because you, you judge the circumstance or you judge the person. And if we are honest with ourselves, we all tend to make judgments by appearances. We are... To put it another way, we use the, our natural senses of sight, touch, hearing, etc. In other words, that's how we tend to make judgments. But life teaches us that it, these senses that we tend to go by aren't always reliable in helping us make a correct judgment. In other words, have you ever been in this place and if you are probably in your 40s, you would probably, or over, you probably would uh, be more prone to recognize this. Have you ever, uh, growing up, look at somebody that you judge would make a great friend for you? And you say, I want that person to be my friend. You, typically that goes on, especially in the teen years, but even into the young adult years, you, you, you look at somebody and say, man, Pastor Joey, he's cool. It would be great if he was my friend. Then I would be cool. And we judge Pastor Joey as being cool because of the way he dresses. <laughs> but when you try to become his friend, and for the moment it seems fine, but then you discover he's got a horrible personality. He's got a terrible character. And he really doesn't care about me. All he does is care about himself. See, I judged him based on his appearance, and it was wrong. Now, the other side of that is equally true. I mean, you take Jonathan here. I made a decision long ago by his appearance that Jonathan would not make a good friend because Jonathan is not cool. Jonathan thinks he's cool, but Jonathan is not cool. And so I, I, I discerned that by just looking at him and saying, this guy is all about himself and he won't make a good friend. Only to find out when I kicked Pastor Joey to the curb finally, that Jonathan turned out to be a great friend. Have you ever had that in life where you judge relationships based on someone's appearance and then you realize that you were wrong? I'm sure you've heard some of these expressions. Don't judge a book by its cover, right? Clothes, don't make the man, Pastor Joey. You see, beauty is only skin deep. These are all expressions that are uh, geared to teach us that you can't judge correctly 
by mere appearances. I'll give you one close to home. I've shared this before, but for the benefit of those who may not have heard it in the past, uh, this has happened in the church here. It's happened in the church that I was uh, from originally, when my wife and I in New York. I have the appearance that I'm unapproachable, that I'm very strict and stern. And in New York, no one was ever afraid to go to the, our uh, Pastor Durso, the lead pastor. No one was ever afraid to go into his office. But to be called into Pastor Paniagua's office, I was nicknamed the principal. This is true. Like nobody told me that, but they all judged me based on my appearance that they, you don't want to go into the principal's office. And I was like, why do people think that about me? I think that I'm oftentimes too lax on the platform, that I joke around too much, and I worry that people won't take me seriously enough. But yet, the opposite is true. And even here, when, when it's time for membership, I interview all people that are gonna become members, and I remarkably heard the exact same thing. And people don't even realize they're saying it, they say it right to me. I feel like I'm going to the principal's office. Really? Now you are in the principal's office. <laughs> and then I've also heard this, both in New York and here. As people do get to know me beyond what they see, I often hear, you're nothing like what I thought you would be. And that's because we all tend to make judgments based upon appearance. Right? We judge people's characters. We judge relationships merely by what we see without really knowing the person quite well. And that's what we do also with circumstances. We tend to look at something, and if we judge it to be something that we desire and need, we go after that, regardless of whether it's something that we should have. And we've all been in that place. So now... Judging correctly, whether it's with relationships or with circumstances, there are two things that I just want to remind you of here this morning on how you and I can make correct judgments. Number one is very simple. Talk to God first. Talk to God first. Let me give you an example. When God raised up Joshua, to lead the nation of Israel into the promised land, the first stop they had was Jericho, and they destroyed Jericho, and then ultimately Ai. And as the people of God became famous as far as the other surrounding nations, they heard that there's this incredible nation that's coming in that has a God that is enabling them to have victory after victory. So there was a neighboring nation that was next called the Gibeonites. The Gibeonites now realize we're no match for the nation of Israel. For these people that have come in and invaded the land and are taken over, we're no match for it. So they devised a plan. They, they all wore uh, old clothes. They had a contingent that went to them, and, and this contingent had all old clothes. They had moldy bread. Uh, they had broken sandals. Uh, they had uh, uh, a, a, a wine a, a bag that was cracked, 
And they, when they came before Joshua and the leadership, they said, we want you to make a treaty with us. We come from a distant land, a lie, and we want you to make a treaty with us. And they said, well, how do we know you come from a distant land? They said, well, look at, look at us. You know, when we left home, uh, the bread was fresh and warm. And, and when we, we left home, this wine bag was new. But now look at the leather. It's all old and cracked. My sandals were new. But look, they're all torn apart and old. That's how long we've been on this journey. And chapter 9 of Joshua in the 14th verse says this. The Israelites sampled their provisions, but did not inquire of the Lord. Joshua and the other leaders looked at everything, and based on their, the appearance, they made a judgment. These people have, in fact, come from a distant place, and now we are going to make a treaty with them, and they did, only to discover after the fact that the Gibeonites were their neighbors. How often... Have we made a bad judgment? Have we failed to judge correctly in a situation or in a relationship because we didn't talk to God first? There are people that over the years have come to us, come to me personally, who have moved away. And sometimes they come back for a visit. This happened in New York and it's happened here. And people often come up to me at the end of the service. Hi, remember me? I said, yeah, how you been? I know, you, you know, you moved over here. And I said, yeah, we're here visiting, but we really can't find a good church. And I said, really? Yeah, when we miss here. I said, move back then. You see, what happened was they saw a house. They never talked to God about whether they should buy it. They, by its appearance, they wanted it, and they bought it. The only problem was it wasn't God for them to move. See, simple counsel that I give to everyone. When you are considering moving, and this goes for a physical move, or this goes for moving for a church, or this goes for moving for a job, let's remember most of us are in agreement God got us where we are. God brought me to this church. God got me this job. God got me this place to live. So if God brought you there, wouldn't it make sense that before you leave the place that God brought you to, you ask God whether you should leave? How often times we make a bad judgment simply because we don't talk to God first. Well, you know, you don't know how crazy the job is. I had to get out of there. But you just said God got you that job. Don't you think God can keep you in the job that he got you? Yeah, but I, I just couldn't take it anymore. So you couldn't take the place that God brought you, so now you made a decision on your own. And here's another one. that you, The grass is always greener on the other side, isn't it? Or at least it appears greener until you get there. And then you get to another job, and all of a sudden now you got problems in that job, and you realize the problems that I had in the previous job uh, are, were not as bad as the problems that I got in my new job. I should have never laughed. And we hear that with people who leave churches, who leave their jobs, who leave their homes and sell. Listen, people think that God only lives in the suburbs. The God, 
God can't keep me in the city. You know, things are going too crazy to see. I got to go to a safe place in the suburbs. Like they're not drugs in the suburbs. Like there's no violence in the suburbs. Like your house can't get broken into in the suburbs. Don't you know that there are crooks from the city that look at you and say, I'm following her. I'm following them. Look, look, look at all the stuff they got in their truck. I'll find out where they're at. I'm, I know I'm joking around, but I want to be serious in the moment of saying, God has a plan for your life. God has a plan for every single one of our lives, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters. And we need to be careful. We, we often make bad judgments simply because we don't talk to God first. Listen to what uh, the Bible teaches us here, uh, uh, in, again, in, in this Gibeonite situation. God never told them, now, you, 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 I'll take care of the giving. You made a mistake, but I'm going to take care of it. They had to live with the Gibeonites for the rest of their lives. They had to honor the agreement that they made. And sometimes we make bad decisions because we don't talk to God, and then we expect God to fix our mistake. And there are times that God will say, oh, you made your bed, now you're going to sleep in it. How many believe God has a plan for your life? All right, put your hand up. All the singles, let me see. Do, do you believe God has a plan for your life? Okay, single, do you believe that in that plan, God has your spouse already picked out? Okay. See, we, it's easy to say amen here now. But what happens when you meet somebody that doesn't follow God, but you think he's Mr. Right? You think, oh, she's the one for me. Remember Samson? He told that to his parents. No, she's the one for me. And we make these judgments based on appearance and say, I got to marry her. I got to marry him. He's got to be the one. God will bless it. No, God won't bless it. And after you get married and you got hell on earth and you're wondering, what did I do? You have to, you reap what you sow. A young lady that I loved in New York once did that and she said, Dad, what do I do now? I said, you made your bed, you got to sleep in it. He's your husband now. To leave him now, you're, you're going to commit another sin to try to get over on the sin that you just made. I said, that's not God. Now you have to ask God for the grace that you need to deal with the life that you made. My heart's desire for all of us is to help us not make the wrong judgments because we just didn't ask God. Now, one more part of transparency about that. Isn't it true that sometimes we don't want to ask God because we already know what the answer is? Hmm, yeah. We already know that the Bible says in relationships we shouldn't be with someone who's not a Christian. We already know that. But see, I don't want to talk to God because I know what God's going to say. And I want what I want. May God help us to recognize we would avoid a world of trouble of making all these bad decisions if we just talked to God first. Now, this is the second thing. Listen. Not only do we, after we talk to God, we have to, number two is trust the Spirit's guidance. <clears throat> trust the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Two verses, John 16, 13. Jesus said, when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. 
Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, for we live by faith, not by sight. I put these two together because Jesus told us when the Spirit of God comes, when the Holy Spirit dwells in your heart, his ministry, his primary role is to guide the people of God into all truth. That is the primary function of the Holy Spirit in the heart of the believer. He will always guide you into the truth. He will never, ever guide you uh, uh, in, uh, uh, in away from the truth. And listen, when I talk about the truth, that means it also lines up with the word of God. You can never say the spirit led me and it's something that violates God's word. The Holy Spirit will always lead us into all the truth. And we are to live by faith and not by sight. And what that, why I put in these two together is there are times where the leading of the Holy Spirit will go contrary to your common sense. It will go contrary to your five senses. It will, everything in the, in, in the natural will seem like you should go in that way, but the Holy Spirit will say, no, that's not what God has purposed and planned for your life. So if we're going to judge correctly when it comes to people or when it comes to circumstances, then we need to, number one, talk to God first. And then number two, we need to trust the guidance of the Holy Spirit. He will always lead and guide us in the truth. Now, lastly, in our text, the one that is being accused and misjudged is the Lord Jesus Christ, right? So I need to talk for a moment about the fact that as the people of God, we often misjudge God. And by misjudge, I'm talking about the fact that there are times where you and I uh, misjudge God, where we find fault with God's action or lack of action. In our Old Testament, we have a book called Jonah. Now, Jonah was a prophet, and God sent him to the city of Nineveh, a heathen city, to tell the people that judgment was going to come. Jonah initially disobeyed God. He tries to run the other way. He gets on a ship, tries to hide from God. God causes a storm on the sea, and they throw him overboard, and a big fish swallows him. We've all heard the story. And then Jonah comes to his senses, and so the uh, big fish spits him out on the shore, and he's like, okay, go to Nineveh, Jonah. So Jonah goes to Nineveh, and he preaches in Nineveh, declaring judgment is coming. God's judgment is coming on this city and this nation. And then... As a result of Jonah's preaching, the Bible tells us that the whole city repents. Jonah now gets angry. Listen to, I'm going to read Jonah chapter 4, the first four verses. But But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, is this what I said? Lord, when I was still at at home. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. 
I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to become angry? Remember, this is God's man. This is the messenger sent by God to, to declare judgment was coming, and as a result, the entire city repents. But Jonah is not happy. In fact, he's angry. He's angry because God relents from judgment. When God saw how the people humbled themselves, God said, okay, I'm not going to judge. And Jonah got angry at God because God didn't respond the way Jonah expected him to respond. And there are times where we misjudge God because God doesn't respond or act the way we expect him to act. Ever been angry at God? All right, let me, let me soften that up for some of you. Have you ever been disappointed at God? I'm disappointed God didn't bless me. I thought she was the one, but she's not the one. I'm disappointed. Truth of the matter is most of the time we are not disappointed, we're angry. We're angry because God didn't do what we wanted him to do. God didn't respond the way we wanted him to respond. We prayed for healing, but the healing didn't come. We get angry at God. We misjudge God's actions or lack of actions. Why hasn't God come through yet? Why hasn't this happened yet? And we get upset with God because we judge him to be one who doesn't care. We judge him to be one who's not really mindful of our situation and our circumstance or our need. And if we this morning want to uh, avoid the trap of misjudging God, then there are two vital truths that I want to leave you with. Number one, we need to remember that we belong to God. We belong to God. Listen to what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Notice the apostle Paul said, when you believed, when you've embraced Jesus Christ as your savior, when you acknowledge that Jesus died on the cross for your sin and embraced him and into your heart as your savior, you were marked. There, there was a stamp that God put on you. Oh, not a physical stamp, a spiritual stamp. And that stamp uh, it was, is the seal, the, and the seal is the Holy Spirit. Amen. See, when God looks into your life and you, and you repent of your sin and embrace Jesus Christ, then God comes, and now God wants to put a stamp on your life and, and a seal that signifies that you are his that you are part of his possession. And that seal is the Holy Spirit that dwells in your heart. 
the, the indwelling of the Spirit of God is the seal, the proof, if you will, that you are in fact a child of God, that you belong to God. You are part of God's possession. Would you say amen to that? Okay, I trapped you. See, because I knew you would say a quick amen. You love that. I, I belong to God. I belong to God. Praise God. Hallelujah. He mocked me with the Holy Spirit. I belong to God. The devil knows I belong to God. But if we belong to God, does that mean God can do with us what he wants? Oh, yeah. Listen, here's the second thing, truth, you need to recognize. We exist to fulfill God's purpose. Yes. Ephesians, in chapter 1 and verse 11, it says, In him, meaning Jesus, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works everything. Come on, say everything with me. Everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. In Jesus Christ, you were chosen. The word predestined simply means before you were even born, God had already decided you would be part of his possession. And before you even thought about Jesus, Jesus already thought about you. And that's a wonderful truth. That's a great truth to recognize. And, but Paul goes on to say, remember, you were chosen. Uh, you were predestined. You, you were part of this incredible plan that God has. And I want you to know this morning, God works everything, everything in conformity, meaning God manipulates, he moves whatever transpires in this universe. God moves it in such a way for one thing and one thing alone to fulfill his purpose. Yeah. See, we misjudge God when we expect him to move, to work everything according to our purpose. That's when we start to misjudge God. When I expect God to work everything out, God, this is not going the way that I thought, but I know you work all things for the good. I, we love to quote Romans 8, 28. God works everything, all things out for the good. Yeah, but what's the definition of good? You ever ask yourself that? See, God's definition of good is something that I think is good. Something that I would like. But that's not the good that we're talking about. That's not the good that the Bible is talking about. No. God works everything out to conform to his purpose. God has a purpose for every single one of our lives. God has a purpose for your life. You were not saved just so that you can be, go to heaven one day. God didn't send his son to, to, to suffer a horrific death on the cross just so you and I can live a good life. No, God has a purpose. God has a purpose for every single one of our lives. Granted, at this moment, you may not know what God's purpose is, but that doesn't mean that God doesn't have a purpose. You may think that you are worthless, but there is no such thing in the kingdom of God as a person who is worthless. 
listen to me now. We make ourselves worthless when we reject God's purpose for our life. That's when we find in the gospel, Jesus calls them, you worthless, lazy servant. See, we all have worth because Jesus died on the cross for us. Because we are sealed with the precious Holy Spirit. And now we have the plan of God in our life. God now re begins to reveal that he has a purpose for our life. And it's important. In order for you and I to judge God correctly, that we remember God doesn't exist to serve our purpose. We exist. We are chosen to serve his purpose. Now, it's a great thing to recognize that God has a purpose and a plan for our life. It's a great thing to know that we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. But here's the last thing that we need to recognize. Worship team, if you would come. When we think about that God has a purpose for our life, when we think about the one that we are God's holy possession, we belong to God, we're children of God. Now all of a sudden, we start again misjudging that intention, that purpose, because humanistically, I can't fathom that God's purpose for my life will include hardship. We love to say, God is good. And the church responds, and all the time, God is good. But what happens when you get sick and you get a bad report from the doctors and you pray and the answer is not healing? What happens when hardship comes your way? Difficulties, sufferings. The Apostle Paul was really acquainted with that and understood that God's purpose for our life also, listen, also includes suffering, hardship, difficulties. Anyone that teaches you otherwise is not teaching you the truth. We need to stop misjudging God because all of a sudden we got a little spiritual boo-boo. You know, I, this, this happened, look at this happen, God. I thought God was for me. If God is for me, who could be against me? Why did this happen? Listen, Paul said this in Acts chapter 20, verse 23. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me, listen, that prison and hardships are facing me. This is the Apostle Paul, the man who wrote most of our New Testament, who was one of the greatest missionaries the church has ever seen. This apostle was traveling from place to place, and every place he was going to, the Spirit of the Lord, not the devil, the Spirit of God was telling you, there's big trouble waiting for you. There's sufferings waiting for you. Now, you would think, if you were you and I, we'd probably say, is that God telling me not to go? Must be. Because God would never be telling me to go into trouble. God would never tell me you know, the job that I'm bringing you to is going to be hell on earth for you. 
How could that be God? God wouldn't tell me that the area that he's moving me to is going to really be difficult. And I may even have some sleepless nights. Remember David? God said, David is a man after my own heart. Sam, anoint him king. He's going to be my next king. But before he's the king, let him run for his life. Let him live in caves. Let him not know when his next meal is going to come from. Let him not know when the enemy is going to show up and take, try to take his life. David spent a number of years hiding out in caves. And if he's human like you and I, you think that he might have wondered in one of those things, what happened, God? I thought that I was going to be the king. That's what you said. I thought I was a man after your own heart. Why is this happening? I did nothing wrong. Why is this happening? In fact, I did nothing but good, and yet they're hunting to take my life. You see, brothers and sisters, we need to recognize something. There's a gospel out there that is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's a gospel of prosperity that is not the gospel of God. There are times where God has ordained for you and I to go through a tough time. And if we're honest with ourselves, one of the purposes for that is to strengthen our faith. How else would you know that God is a way maker if you didn't need him to make a way? You see, we were singing, we were singing, oh, we love that song, and yeah, we're praying. But how would you know? How would you be able to tell somebody else, God is going to make a way for you, if God had never laid a way for you? So God doesn't put us in some spiritual bubble where nothing ever happens. That's not life. In fact, Paul went on to say in, in Acts, we must go through many hardships enter the kingdom of heaven it's part of the journey so if we realize that that we belong to God we're his holy possession it's a wonderful thing but we exist to fulfill God's purpose what if your suffering makes a way for somebody else to hear the gospel Would you enjoy your suffering then? What if your difficulty and, and all that you're going through provides a pathway for somebody to hear that the God that got you through can get them through? Now, we all are shaking our head. That would be great, Pastor. But how many know in that moment when you're going through that hardship, you're not even thinking about that. All you're thinking about is why did God let this happen? How could God let this happen? And we misjudge God no God has a purpose and a plan and we exist to fulfill his purpose and if we remember these two truths it will help us guard our heart from misjudging God